The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome to another edition of Cowboys Cast presented by bloggingtheboys.com. I am your host, Bobby Belt. Cowboys win, Cowboys win, Cowboys win. All is right in the world for Cowboys fans. Actually, I don't know. I mean, coming out of that game yesterday, which the Cowboys win, they beat the Chargers 20-17. to Big victory on the road for them. Coming out of that game, I saw a few mentions in my Twitter saying, why did I feel better last week about a loss than I do this week about a victory? And obviously, you feel better about the end result, but... Do you necessarily feel as good about the team? Well, we'll talk about the game in in sort of a broad macro sense and then get into five really key takeaways that I had from this game. Um, So just speaking in the broader context first, um, hell of a job by the Cowboys um, generating pressure um, when I I don't know that anybody thought that was going to be possible. Just because you had, you know, Rashawn Slater blocking on one side. You have an athletic quarterback in Justin Herbert. You have all those receiving threats. You have Austin Eckler who, you know, you can dump quick swing passes to and make plays. And it was just going to be difficult, I think, in a lot of people's minds to generate any sort of a pass rush. The only defensive end uh, on your roster who had a sack with the Cowboys in his career was Dorrance Armstrong who had two and a half for his three-year, now four-year career coming into the game. So it was a tall order to think that they would be able to generate any sort of a pass rush, but they did it. Dan Quinn schemed it up. You saw a lot of Micah Parsons at defensive end. You saw a lot of blitzes. Um, They got really creative with it, and they deserve a ton of credit, the guys, for the execution of it, and Dan Quinn for scheming that up. Uh, the Cowboys had nine quarterback hits on Justin Herbert yesterday, and they had the, the most they had in all of 2020 was 10 against the Giants. So that's the most they've had in just about a year. And so a, a really impressive performance from the pass rush, one that was quite unexpected, and I think was really probably the story of the game for the Cowboys. Um, because they were bend but don't break on defense. You know, they gave up a, a lot of yardage. To Justin Herbert, they gave, they gave up a lot of yards on the ground. They gave up 408 net yards, um, but they buckled down when it mattered. You know, the Chargers in the red zone yesterday were one for four, which is a great 
percentage if you're Dallas. If, if you can do that, you'll win a lot of games. Um, they were generating turnovers, and, and not just, you know, fluky turnovers. It was, you know, quality turnovers. Trayvon Diggs, with that interception on the pass intended for Keenan Allen, that was a, a legitimate takeaway. That was an impressive play. And so I think that you saw a lot of encouraging things about the defense. Um, I think the safety play is so clearly so much better than it has been in recent seasons. And it doesn't matter who it is out there. Anybody you're running out there right now is playing better at safety than anybody you've really had back there in the last several years. Donovan Wilson was playing solid ball in the first game. He obviously was hurt out yesterday. Malik Hooker steps up, gets a chance to play, played well, had a tackle for loss, uh, had another one where he had a great read on Austin Eckler, and he just couldn't finish the tackle. He, he you know, got pushed off, but he, he was making the right diagnosis. He was flying to the ball, encouraging stuff there, and, you know, this is two weeks in a row where DeMonte KZ has generated a turnover. He had the, in the red zone. He had the, you know, peanut punch that Jordan Lewis scooped up against Tampa. And he had the interception yesterday that took points off the board for uh, the Chargers. In fact, on that drive, the Chargers had a touchdown overturned. And so that was a seven-point swing. And so DeMonte KZ stepped up and had a great play. Jaron Curse was incredible. And this is two weeks in a row Jaron Curse has played really well. And that's not something that I expected. I thought J. Ron Curse was camp fodder. He has never shown himself to be, during his time in the league, a good starting caliber safety. Or even, honestly, at times, even an average starting caliber safety. But he's doing it. And they're asking him to do a lot. They're playing him at corner some. And he's playing really, really well. So I think that stands out to me a lot, is just the safety play and the pass rush is what what was incredibly impressive in this game and really gives you a chance to field a a contending team, I think, if this defense can play like that in the red zone, if they can generate turnovers, if they can generate a pass rush like that. I think there's reason to be really confident in what the Cowboys can do moving forward, even though there were some sloppy parts to yesterday's game. I mean, like I said, the the Chargers had over 100 yards of penalty. Will Kane, uh, my buddy, had said on Twitter that, you know, he's a little concerned to see what this team looks like when the opposing team isn't incurring 100 yards of penalties because the Buccaneers did about the same. So when that's gone, when it regresses to the mean, will it... Will they look as good? Because like I said, two touchdowns got taken off the board to penalties yesterday. And DeMonte Casey had an interception on one. And then Micah Parsons had that big time sack. We'll talk about Micah Parsons in the five takeaways here in a sec. Uh, But Micah Parsons had that big sack that knocked them back. They pick up some extra yardage on third and goal and then have to kick a field goal. So that's an 11 point swing due to penalties pulling touchdowns off the board. So there was a little bit of fortuitous laundry on the field for the Cowboys yesterday. Um, But there was a lot there that they did that they stepped up and made plays and they handled business and 
credit to the whole coaching staff, Mike McCarthy included, for putting them in a position to really challenge the Chargers on their field. I, I didn't think there was any chance that the Chargers scored fewer than 30 points. And they held them to 17. It was a really impressive performance by the defense, despite the chunk plays they were giving up. They were giving up a lot. They, you know, the game opens with two big chunk plays of 20-plus yards to Austin Eckler and Keenan Allen. And then Diggs gets the pick. And then they settle down. And then when Dak Prescott is picked off by Asante Samuel, they lock down. They don't break. Last year, that team broke consistently. And this is a couple weeks in a row where they have not broken when things get tough. And I think that's very encouraging, especially on the defensive side. I think that's a lot of credit to Dan Quinn and the mentality that he's brought and the culture that he's cultivating. Now, I know some of you are like, you should give Mike McCarthy credit. I, I will. I mean, Mike McCarthy deserves credit for improving the culture this season um, and for hiring coaches that could help improve the culture. Um, but I think a, a large part of this, what we're seeing so far is Dan Quinn. I made the comment on Twitter yesterday that going from Mike Nolan to Dan Quinn feels a little like going to, from Deontay Thompson to Amari Cooper. Maybe a little bit of an exaggeration. It's only been two games, but it's the same sort of just fresh air feeling, I feel like, that it was when Amari Cooper got here. And it's like, oh, we have a, a receiver. We have an actual threat. You know, we're not just rolling slaps out there. Same sort of thing. I think it feels just refreshing. Like, oh, we got a guy who actually knows how to design a defense. A guy who the game has not passed him by. A guy who these players believe in. I think that's a a big encouragement for the Cowboys moving forward and for the chances in this division, especially now with, you know, Washington beat the Giants on Thursday night, but the Eagles lost to San Francisco and you're in a three-way tie now, one, one, you know, one on one across the board with the Giants pulling up the rear there at 0-2. And, and so you, you could have found yourself potentially in a troubling hole had you lost that game and had... Philly been able to steal that one from San Francisco. Philly played really well in the first half. Philly played better than San Francisco in the first half of that game. And, you know, they went for two in the fourth quarter, made it 17-11 to where if they got the ball back and they could drive down the field, they were going to be in a position to score a game-winning touchdown and potentially be 2-0. And so, I mean, obviously it's a bounce here, a bounce there. And ultimately you've got Dallas and Philly at 1-1, but that could have been incredibly, incredibly stressful week for the Cowboys heading into the Monday night game next week. If Philly's 2-0 and and you're 0-2 and and you're looking at digging a three-game hole that early in the season, you know, and and losing a division game, you know, that, that could have been really disastrous for the Cowboys. And so with that pressure on, minimal as it may be, it's not December pressure, but with that pressure on, they stepped up and they did what they needed to do. And the team last year wouldn't have done that. So a lot to feel really good about a lot that still needs to be cleaned up. I'm not going to play complete Debbie Downer, but I mean, there are things that need to be cleaned up there. There's the clock management at the end of the game, which I know our buddy RJ Ochoa who oversees blogging the boys and, and is essentially my boss, you know, not just my boss here on, you know, the, this podcast, but 
my boss in life, the guy I look to for all sorts of guidance in my world. Uh, I know RJ didn't have a problem with it. He talked about it on the post-game show. He didn't have a problem with how the clock management went at the end of the game. I have a big problem with that. A, if they were essentially planning to just run the clock down and kick a 56-yard field goal with a kicker who's been struggling, that's bad. That's a terrible idea. But even if that wasn't it, and Mike McCarthy talked about it post-game. In fact, we'll play the clip real quick. This is Mike McCarthy talking post-game about uh, how the clock management situation went at the end, where they went from basically 30 seconds on the clock, a handoff to Tony Pollard and a timeout in their pocket, to having to take a quick timeout with four seconds left and not getting off another play. Here's Mike McCarthy talking about what happened. The clock situation just to the end was was different. I've never had a clock go off the board on me um, like that. So... You know, the second down, you know, we're, we're trying to, you know, chip away and just get a shorter, shorter field goal. And so we, we were, we were in an attempt to uh, a third down play and then kicking on fourth was the time frame we were in 17 seconds, I think. So we were right on the threshold. You know, we get into these two minute drills, you have thresholds, one minute, three, 30 seconds, 17 seconds. So we were right at the threshold there of our operation. And so we had a, we had a personnel, um, you know, uh, you know, one of our players came off that, you know, shouldn't have come off and just communication there. So then we were just going to run it down. But the the clock I was watching uh, went off the board. And then, the, you know, clock Kellen had, uh, I think he said a camera, he, he got blocked by a camera guy. So the communication was great from up top. And, you know, and obviously you want to you want to call that time out between three, you know, three and four seconds. So. So, OK, I feel a little better knowing that they were not trying to set it up that way, that that's comforting. Um, but it's still distressing that you're running into a late game situation that they, they flubbed what they wanted to do. Even if it ended out as a net positive, even if you win the game in the end and you ran down the clock and you didn't, you know, set yourself up for a Tom Brady situation with Justin Herbert, it was a failure in the way they wanted to execute it. And that's troubling they need to be able to execute their plan. They need to not run into these terrible game management situations. And this was always a ding on McCarthy in Green Bay was that he didn't properly manage end of game situations. He wasn't always great with the clock. And you ran into that again. It, ultimately, it does not matter. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it, but I think that that is something that you can't just overlook. That has to be cleaned up. It will cost you games in the future if you have issues like that again. But overall, everybody should feel happy about this. One and one. Really solid victory. Really great game plan from Dan Quinn and Kellen Moore. Your coaching staff is helping to make you more competitive in ways that it hasn't always been able to in the past. A lot of positives to take away from this. This is a happy victory Monday, a victory polo Monday, as RJ Ochoa would call it. But let's jump into uh, what my five big takeaways, my, my grand, my bigger takeaways from this game against the Chargers. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey. 
instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, takeaway number one, Dak Prescott looked a little off to me in this game. Um, now this was something that I tweeted out that got, uh, everybody worked up for some reason. Y'all know, like I, I run the Dak Prescott fan club, right? Like I have been caping so hard for that guy since he was at Mississippi state saying he was a first round quarterback and wanting to pay him at every single step of the way and believing he's a top five quarterback with that said, he did not look sharp yesterday to me. And there were some challenges. I mean, you, you're facing a, a pretty good chargers pass rush, but one that you handled pretty well. Um, you know, there, there didn't seem to be a lot available to him downfield. Um, and so, I, I mean, I get that there were limitations and it was a tough game, but, um, and, and I get that he went 23 to 27, 237 yards. He, he looked solid, you know? Um, but he did not look quite like himself. He didn't look like his normal top five quarterback self yesterday, even in completing, you know, passes at an efficient rate and, uh, you know, converting third downs and things like that. Um, you know, you had the, he hits Jarwin on the opening drive on a second and 12, um, but he missed Amari Cooper on the left sideline, wide open for a touchdown. Um, he had the interception to uh, Asante Samuel that, you know, he was patting his chest. I, I didn't get a chance to hear what he said post game about it, but he was patting his chest, looked like he was taking blame for it, but his mechanics looked clunkier than normal to me um you know he he typically rotates up on his back foot um rotates up on that toe when he's delivering a pass and he didn't do that he he kind of swung his leg out which was some of his clunkier lower body mechanics that he had early in his career that John Kitten had come in here and cleaned up and so he looked like his lower body mechanics weren't quite as fluid as they normally are. He had a couple passes that looked like they were low, even when they were completed or, or, you know, they weren't complete. He just had a couple passes that didn't look as sharp as he did in Tampa Bay or as we've come to know him to look. Um, and everything was underneath. Now, part of that is probably just the game plan and, and what they're trying to do. Um, but this is two weeks in a row where he's throwing a lot underneath. And this week was even more aggressive than the Tampa Bay game. He was not trying to go downfield at all. I think he had one pass that was 20 yards in the air or one attempt that was 20 yards in the air. In the second half, he attempted 11 passes and the air yards on those 11 passes was 40 yards. He was attempting passes of less than four yards per target, you know, through the air. The, the average depth of target was under four yards per attempt in the second half. So I don't have long-term concerns about it or anything. I just, uh, I look at it and I say, he didn't play his best game. You know, the, he, he was efficient and he did what he needed to do. I'd say it was a solid B. Um, but, you know, we, we've become used to Dak Prescott playing A games. And this wasn't that. And so I think you need to have him step up and 
play better going forward if you want to be a real contender. And I don't think it's any sort of a long-term concern, but I just, I, I thought that he wasn't quite himself. And I don't think it was an injury or anything else. I think he just had an off game. But it, it looked efficient, and he made plays when he needed to, but it, it ultimately just didn't look like the Dak Prescott we've become accustomed to. All right, takeaway number two, the Redeem team. This was a great week of redemption for one big guy on offense, one big guy on defense, and one big guy on special teams. And those three are Terrence Steele at tackle, Jalen Smith at linebacker, and Greg Zerline at kicker. This was a, those were three panic players, I think, for people heading into this game. Micah Parsons was asked to do a lot of pass rushing, which means you're going to need to lean on Jalen Smith a lot at linebacker. And that's been a scary proposition in, the, in recent years. You're going to need to lean on Terrence Steele with Lyle Collins being suspended and going up against Joey Bosa, which was going to be a handful. And, you know, in a close game, you're going to need to lean on Greg Zerline. And I think any one of those going wrong, they lose the game. But all three of them went right. Greg Zerline had struggled against Tampa Bay, not just with his kickoff, you know, with his um, kicks. He had struggled with his kickoffs as well. Um, You know, he had given up good field position to Tampa Bay on three occasions, I think it was, on kickoffs. He missed the extra point. He had the two missed field goals. Yesterday, he makes all his extra points. He makes the big 56-yarder as time expires. He was getting good depth on his kickoffs. There were no kick returns, all touchbacks. So Greg Zerline stepped up in a big way. Jalen Smith, who we all routinely kick in the nuts, and probably deservedly so, leads the team in tackles, nine tackles, was not getting cut back on, was not you know, losing guys in space. There were three times I think that I could think of that he was isolated with a ball carrier. And that's been a scary, scary moment for a lot of fans, especially last year. And all three of those times he made the tackle. And I think all three of those times he made the tackle before the first down marker too. Definitely on two of them, but I think on the third. So Jalen Smith was making plays and was making plays isolated against the ball carrier, which has been rare with him recently. And then you had big Terrence Steele, who I have done my fair share of beating up on for just how bad he looked last year. Um, And I thought for sure Joey Bosa was getting four sacks in this game. And Bosa wasn't always on Terrence Steele. Sometimes he was on the other side with Tyron Smith. But Joey Bosa didn't get any quarterback hits for the whole game, whether he was on Tyron or Terrence Steele. But he was on Terrence Steele a lot. And he wasn't able to generate any of the pressure that we all thought he would. Terrence Steele did a great job on Joey Bosa. Terrence Steele did a a really good job in pass protection overall. He had a nice block on the Zeke touchdown that uh, got them up 14 to three. He made an impact yesterday. It wasn't just he wasn't a black hole. He made an impact. He played well. And that's something that I think nobody saw coming with, with any of these three. That, that was the, the most optimistic thing that came out of that game. Was any of those three guys not doing their job or doing their job similarly to the way they've done it in the last year, you probably lose that game. You don't win that game with any of those three playing less than they did. And they did it, and they stepped up. Terrence Steele actually talked post postgame. Uh, I want to play a little bit of that. I liked this from him. 
Well, they called Zach Martin president, and the president said that you had an outstanding game. So uh, I don't know if you need him to say that, but how, how great is it that you guys get the win, yeah. and he, he's praising you and saying, you, you know, you played outstanding. Yeah, no, I, mean, I was just doing my job. That's a great, great team win. Uh, I, my job was just to block the ends, and that's what I was doing today. So I just I wasn't doing anything but my job, and uh, we came out with a dub. Uh, that's ultimately what matters. So, how confident were you going in, into the week? Uh, yeah. That you know, you knew you were going to play a lot. You heard a lot about Bosa yeah. and what mm-hmm. he does. All that, yep. But I mean, you, you see, you've always had good confidence yeah. in yourself, right? Yeah. Uh, to, to play in this league, you have to have major confidence in yourself. Um, uh, I worked my butt off this whole off season just for this moment to prepare for this moment, and uh, I still like continue building off of this. Uh, Bosa is one hell of a player. Definitely one of the top edge rushers in this league. Uh, so, to shout to him, he. he He's going to continue to do great things in this league. So, Was there a moment in the game when, when you you got even more confidence and you said, you know, maybe, uh, I want to say, with the <coughs> touchdown that, that Zeke had, you guys yeah. were pretty much right behind you. Yeah, guys. yeah. I mean, you got your hands in the air. You were excited. Was that a moment that you were just like, you knew yeah. you, know, you guys did some push in there? That's one, that's one of the greater feelings, you know, especially when the ball came right behind you in the scores. Yeah. There's not too many feelings in the world that matches that. So uh, uh, I would say the jitters got af- got out after me uh, after the first uh, series probably so um <clears throat> take me back almost a year you yeah. played right here first mm-hmm. start yep. rams yep. and then late in the game they're driving i know you, there was a sack that happened on on that side i remember that one too uh, yeah that one's that one's still fresh in my head i know exactly what he, sp- he spun inside and got <laughs> got deck on that one but how but how <clears throat> different is your mind and your your confidence in a whole year of playing yeah. you played a lot of starts yeah i did yeah um I'm definitely more I feel more comfortable out here for sure. You know, last year, uh, my first year rookie didn't have a preseason, all that yada yada yada. Uh, no, nah, I definitely feel more confident this year in, the, in my abilities, and uh, so, so did the Cowboys too. So. Did you have to do any silent counts or anything? I mean, I know it was loud there, but I mean, it sounds yeah. like the Chargers had to maybe more yeah. than you guys. Did. Yeah, I honestly think the Chargers had to worry about more than we did. But no, Dak, Dak's voice is. Uh, Loud, we could hear it. We had no problems. So, how much confidence does the offense have in a four-minute situation, like three-minute situation, like that? To say we're going to go down, we're going to, we're going to score a yeah. He's going to bleed all the clock, yeah. and we're going to go get it. We we literally practice this every week. This exact that exact situation. Yeah. So it was no surprise to me that we went we we went down there and executed like we did. So, so awesome, awesome stuff from Terrence Steele, Jalen Smith, Greg Zerline, three guys that have rightfully been in the crosshairs of fans. Shut them all up yesterday. Not for good. You got to keep it going. But you win that game in large part because of those three guys. And I don't think anybody would have said that or or anticipated that when they woke up on Monday morning. All right. Takeaway number three, Micah Parsons at defensive end. Now, this is getting some chatter. Uh, Some people are wondering if you should just put Micah Parsons at defensive end full time now. Parsons played great. Uh, He had four quarterback hits which is the most since Alden Smith had uh, the most for a Cowboys player since Alden Smith had four against the Seahawks in week three last year. Um, you needed to generate some sort of a pass rush in this game. They were able to get it from a lot of places, but they got it mainly from Micah Parsons. Um, at times he was, you know, getting stifled by Rashawn Slater and, and, you know, had moments where he was, you know, having difficulty winning his reps, but Overall played really great and made that huge sack, which a lot of people are going to, you know, have talked about that he shouldn't have been ruled a sack. He shouldn't have been ruled in the ground uh, or his forward progress had stopped Justin Herbert. Um, 
because he was he was trying to make plays, trying to get rid of the ball, and he did, but ultimately they had whistled him down. And I know a lot of people, Chargers fans and people on the broadcast were talking about how that shouldn't have been called what it was. Turnabout is fair play, though. I mean, you, you didn't get the Chris Godwin call, and so I guess it levels out a little bit for you with the Mike Parsons sack call, but um, Parsons played really great, um, and you've now seen him do a fantastic job playing linebacker against Tom Brady and the Super Bowl champions. You've now seen him do a fantastic job as a straight-up pass rusher against a really solid offense that likes to get the ball out quick, that likes to, you know, you know that has competent pass blockers. So it'll be really interesting to see how they use Micah Parsons against Jalen Hurts and the Eagles. I think that you'll see him spying Jalen Hurts a lot. I mean, Randy Gregory will be back by next week, but is there this point now where we discuss, should Micah Parsons be a full-time defensive end until Demarcus Lawrence gets back? Is your team better off, especially if Jalen and Layton can play the way they did yesterday? Is your team better off with Micah Parsons and Randy Gregory as the starting defensive ends? And Dorrance Armstrong played well yesterday. Osa Digizua played well. You got better play from the defensive line as a whole. So maybe you don't feel that necessity to do it, but maybe you look at this and say, you know, until DeMarcus Lawrence gets back, Micah Parsons and Randy Gregory are defensive ends, and our linebackers are Keanu Neal and then a rotation of Jalen and Layton. That may give you your best chance to win. I don't think they want Micah Parsons to be a full-time pass rusher, but you have the option to do that over these next six to eight weeks with DeMarcus Lawrence out. There was so much Micah Parsons slander out there in the spring. And he legitimately looks like he has defensive player of the year potential. I don't necessarily mean now. I mean, it's possible he's, he's played great, but he looks like the type of player that in his career is going to win defensive player of the year. He is a stud. This, he is arguably the best player on defense for them. Even when D law is healthy. Brian Baldinger, I know, has made that point that he thinks that Mike Parsons is far and away their best defensive player right now, which is stunning for all the talk of how raw he was and they didn't think his instincts were there. He has shut so many people up the same way Terrence Steele and Jalen Smith and Greg Zerline did yesterday. Micah Parsons is really exciting. And now the discussion is, do you play him at defensive end? Leave us a comment. Leave us a review over on Apple at the Blogging the Boys podcast page. And in that review, just drop, tell us what you think about Micah Parsons playing defensive end until DeMarcus Lawrence gets back. Or maybe you're one of these people who wants to see Micah Parsons' defensive end from now on. I'm not, but I certainly see the excitement on Twitter from a lot of you who want to see that because it was exciting to see him generate a pass rush that we really haven't consistently seen from anybody here in Dallas since... Probably Demarcus Lawrence in 2017, 2018. Really exciting stuff from Micah Parsons. Number four, Bones. Oh, Bones. Jim Fossil and the roughing the kicker at the end of the second quarter. This ultimately did not matter. It was a 14-11 game. Cowboys get called for roughing the kicker on a punt. They get back down into Dallas territory. Chargers kick a field goal. They miss it ultimately is not impactful. But again, this is just, you know, shooting from the hip, wild cowboy Jim Fossil a little bit. Uh, Fossil calls for an all-out blitz, all-out, you know, pursuit to block the kick on the Chargers. 
and Azura Kamara gets called for roughing the kicker. It's an automatic first down on fourth and 20. And the Chargers keep the drive alive. Again, they did not make the field goal. It ultimately did not matter, but they were in a position to make the field goal. That's the distressing thing. You cannot bank every time on them missing a kick. Now, I don't know if you want to put the blame on Kamara or you want to put it more on Fossil for calling that up in that situation where it is not necessary near the end of the second or near the end of the first half to go for an all out block. You're winning the game. You know, don't take that sort of that is not the time to take a risky move like that. Now, people call for all out block attempts. Special teams coordinators call for that. And it, it doesn't always. In fact, it rarely results in roughing the kicker. So that's not always, you know, you know, that's not necessarily something that you may look at and say, well, the, you know, risk wasn't that great. It was bad luck. You know, you may look at it from that perspective, but ultimately, why are you taking any risks with a 14-11 lead and you're about to get the ball back? Just let your team, let your offense do what they do. I know it was going to back them up to inside the 20, but let them do what they're going to do. Make a play. Or just go into halftime assured of the lead. And that's what they did. But you risked that. You put that in jeopardy. And I think this is the good and the bad with Jim Fossil. You're going to get, you know, big time plays like the, you know, wild ass reverse, you know, pitch and catch punt return with CJ Goodwin last year against San Francisco. But then you're going to get some other times where it's, you know, you're calling a fake punt in your own end and giving the ball back to Washington or you're calling for, you know, an all-out pump block and you're roughing the kicker and giving the Chargers a chance to go into halftime with a tie or with a lead and the ball coming back to them. So just something to keep an eye on, something to monitor is Jim Fossil's just wild ways. Sometimes it's wonderful, sometimes it's terrible. All right, and takeaway number five, and this is the last one, and I, I know you guys hate me for this one because I've seen it on Twitter, or not all of you, but a lot of you don't like this one, and this is... Takeaway number five, Zeke versus Pollard. Ezekiel Elliott is so much better in pass protection than Tony Pollard that it's it's not even a question. The drop-off from Ezekiel Elliott to Tony Pollard as a pass blocker is similar to what it was last year with Lyle Collins to Terrence Steele. They're not even in the same ballpark. Terrence, uh, Tony Pollard, I think, had a just one or two times that he was in pass protection, and one of them for sure ended up in Dak getting killed on a sack. And it was because Tony Pollard could pick up the block. Whereas Ezekiel Elliott made a bunch of key blocks against Tampa. I, I didn't notice it as much yesterday, but I mean, he made a bunch of key blocks in pass protection against Tampa that extended plays and allowed them to move the ball. And we know Zeke is a complete back. But with the ball in their hands, this team is better with Tony Pollard than Ezekiel Elliott. If you want to have them both on the field, fine, and have them use their, you know, different skill sets, that's fine. But in terms of putting the ball in their hands, you are better with Tony Pollard than Ezekiel Elliott. Yesterday, Ezekiel Elliott had 18 touches. Tony Pollard had 16. Tony Pollard had five plays of 10 yards or more. Ezekiel Elliott had two. Ezekiel Elliott had six carries of a yard or less. Tony Pollard had zero. Tony Pollard's shortest game of the day was three yards. I think Ezekiel Elliott had three yards or less like seven times. Tony Pollard is a more dynamic playmaker, and I don't want to hear this line from you guys anymore about they're keen on Zeke. The defense plays a different... 
That is just some line that you guys are toting out. It is not based in fact. It is not based on what you see on film. It is not based on how defenses are game planning. They are not keying on Zeke differently than Tony Pollard. Some of the runs are different for Zeke than what they call for Tony Pollard. They call more of those jet sweep type things for Tony Pollard. They tend to get Tony Pollard more outside the tackles, but that's also because Tony Pollard has a better ability to do it. That's part of what makes him a more dynamic playmaker. That's why you have to call those for Zeke versus what you call for Tony Pollard. And I know a lot of people may say, well, that's just one game. You can't say that. Okay, well, since 2019, when Tony Pollard got in the league, Ezekiel Elliott has 572 carries. And he has seven carries of 20 yards or more on those 572. Tony Pollard has 203 carries in that time, and he has 10 carries of 20 yards or more. He is a more dynamic playmaker flat out since he got in the league he has three carries of 40 yards or more the last time Ezekiel Elliott had a carry of 40 yards or more Amari Cooper was an Oakland Raider let that sink in this is not about keying on defense this is a large sample size that shows Tony Pollard is a more dynamic playmaker I'm not saying take Zeke off the field Zeke does a lot in pass protection And Zeke is a good runner. Zeke is no longer an elite runner. Zeke is not 2016 Zeke. Zeke is not even 2018 Zeke. He is a good running back who does a lot of the fundamental things well. Tony Pollard is a dynamic playmaker, a much better playmaker and a bigger home run threat than Ezekiel Elliott. That is just flat out the case. You are better with the ball in Tony Pollard's hands than you are with Ezekiel Elliott. Now, Ezekiel Elliott, like I said, he does a lot of fundamental things on the periphery that make him incredibly valuable and that you may say make him more valuable than Tony Pollard overall. But if we're talking about just what they do with the ball in their hands, you cannot say any longer that Ezekiel Elliott is a better playmaker than Tony Pollard. It's just not the case. All right, we got Eagles coming up next week. I actually get to do pregame show next week because it's a Monday game. And we air on Monday morning, of course. So instead of being reactionary next week, we're going to be kind of previewing, uh, taking a look at the injury report, maybe talking to a a Philly reporter, if you guys can stand listening to that. Um, But we'll have a a healthy preview for you next week of this Eagles game, a big game for the Cowboys, as they can, you know, kind of jump ahead in the division a little bit. It'll give them a division victory. It'll put them at two and one ahead of the Eagles. They've already beaten the Chargers, whereas the Redskins lost, or the Redskins, whereas the Washington football team lost to the Chargers. Uh, And so that gives the Cowboys an edge already in games versus common opponents against Washington. This is setting up to be a really good run for them. And it would be incredibly, incredibly crucial and helpful if they were able to do this while Demarcus Lawrence was out, while Michael Gallup was out, while Lyle Collins was out. You're going to find a lot of you're going to find out a lot about the heart of this team. And I think you're already finding out a lot about the heart of this team compared to the heart of this team last year, which was absent. So, feel good about this victory. Take the week to soak it in. Look forward to Philly and we will talk to you next week. <laughs>